what is this all about? Which is, of course, I guess where the midlife crisis comes in because you do start to wonder for everything you held value in that was told to you was valuable suddenly becomes like dust in your hands and it's like, wow, where am I now and where am I going? Today's podcast episode is one of my all-time favorite conversations. It's with a guest by the name of Jacinta Parsons. You've likely heard of her. I will talk a little bit more about her in just a moment. But the reason it is one of my most favorite conversations is because it's so relatable. I think every single person listening will be able to take something away from this conversation. And maybe the thing that you take away is pure comfort Or maybe the thing that you take away is a new level of awareness, understanding, empathy. There are so many things that we can take away from Jacinta's thoughts on the topic of aging. Jacinta's book is titled A Question of Age, and I remember seeing it in my local bookstore months and months and months ago. In fact, probably close to a year ago now, because Jacinta and I were going to have this chat ages ago, but it fell over for whatever reason. And so I remember seeing Jacinta's book, picking it up and going, oh yeah, question of age, having a look at it and thinking to myself momentarily, it's probably not really for my age bracket being in my mid thirties, but because my boys take forever to browse the bookstore, I started flicking through it. And as I flicked through this book, I found myself nodding along and feeling like I had found an ally in Jacinta's words. And so I knew that I had to purchase it. I went home, I read it, and it is a book that has stuck with me. It's actually a book I've passed on now to my mum, which I think I mentioned in our conversation. But the reason I felt as though I had found an ally in Jacinta's words was because it's not a book about removing obstacles or making things significantly easier. It's not a self-help book. It's more of a uh, collection of thoughts and feelings. And yes, there are facts included as well. But as I was consuming Jacinta's words, I found myself just feeling very seen and very understood in what it is to be someone who is getting older. And now we're all getting older at every minute of the day, right? And I know that a lot of listeners are in a similar age bracket to me. You might be in your thirties and we don't really think of ourselves as middle age, but we are a lot of us in the second act of our life. And when you reframe it that way, I think it hits a little bit differently. And I certainly do not mean to say, oh, I'm so old and I know what it's like to go through the aging process because I'm in my mid thirties, all of those things. But I am thinking a lot about what it means to be a woman who is aging, what it means to just be a woman in society in general, really. And I think a lot of you are on the same page. 
you know, maybe your kids are getting a little bit older and you're starting to have a little bit more bandwidth to consider things that you just haven't considered before. You know, little things pop up. Like I was saying to my mum when she was over on the weekend that I recognize I'm not in the age bracket where you would go, oh, she's, you know, much older, whatever it is. But little things, right? Like when I'm putting my makeup on now and my eyelids crinkle and I'm reminded of when I was a little girl doing my Nana's makeup and her eyelids were crepey and crinkly. And so you have these little moments as you go through your day. Maybe it's the fact that you catch yourself on your side profile and you go, oh, wow, like I, my face has gone a bit more slack or you notice new lines or you're at the hairdresser and all of a sudden, because they're holding your hair up as they're cutting it, you realize that you've gotten a lot more gray hairs than you had paid attention to. These little things pop up and we have these moments of going, ah, that's right. I am actually here in an aging vessel. I am not forever young. And whilst we might not spend, you know, countless hours and every minute of our waking lives thinking about this stuff, there are those moments that catch us off guard and we go, oh, I am getting older. You know, maybe you open your front camera or you go to take a photo and it's on your front camera and you catch yourself and you go, oh my gosh, I look just like my mother or I look just like my Nana. And it's those moments that I think a lot of people will relate to. But this conversation with Jacinta really does involve a lot of introspection in terms of what does it mean to really see yourself from the inside out and not from the outside in. And I think it's important that we start having these conversations as soon as possible so that we're not getting to our 50s, our 60s, our 70s and beyond and feeling a massive sense of loss. And I think there is a sense of loss that comes along with aging that people aren't really talking enough about. And maybe it's just that I'm like not in the right circles for those conversations. Maybe people are talking a lot about that. And maybe it's just something that I haven't kind of shifted into yet. But there are stages of loss as we age that bring about a sense of grief and just that fear, that fear of loss. It's like, oh, I'll never be that carefree 20 year old again. I'll never have a newborn again, those sorts of things. And when we reframe where we're at in our life and we think about it as, oh gosh, you know, I am in the second act of my life. If I'm lucky, you can't help but think about mortality. And even if it's not as deep as considering mortality, just noticing that you are moving into another era of your life. Like sometimes I'll be out and about and I'll see younger women, like women in their early 20s. And for a moment, I think that I'm their contemporary, like just for a split second. And then I realize, oh, I'm 16 years older sometimes than these women. And that's an interesting thing to reflect on as well. So during my chat with Jacinta, we talk about the striving years. We talk about what we can actually do to support ourselves and extend more compassion to ourselves and other women in our lives as well. We talk about social media, self-objectification, our kids getting older. 
It's a very uh, relatable conversation, I think. And it's one that I hope people will share far and wide. I hope that you'll send it to your mom. I hope you'll send it to your sister. I hope you post it in your group chats or your Facebook groups, because it's definitely a chat that has stuck with me. So Jacinta Parsons is a broadcaster, a radio maker, a writer, and a public speaker. She currently co-hosts the Friday Review on ABC Melbourne, delivering Melbourne exactly what they didn't know they needed or wanted. She has written two incredible books, and as she shares with us during this conversation, she's also writing her third book currently. So I've mentioned the book, A Question of Age. She also has a book called Unseen, where she speaks about living with chronic pain. So let's get into my chat with Jacinta Parsons. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Jacinta, thank you so much for taking time out of your workday to have this chat with me. I am so excited to have this chat with you, actually. I can't wait for us to um, talk about some of the the ideas that um, I've been wrestling with myself. Well, your book is wonderful. I actually don't have my copy with me. I read it cover to cover and then I sent it home with my mum because I was like, she needs this book too. And I think all women need this book. And I think the thing that I most enjoy about your book, which is a question of age, is that it's not self-help wankery in terms of, oh, you're going to get older and these are some things you can do, like put magnesium in your bath and, you know, repeat these affirmations. It's not self-help, it's self, I guess, realization and also system realization. And as I was reading your book, I just remember nodding profusely. And I mean, there are so many places we can start, but I guess perhaps the first place to start is, can we define or can you share with me what you define as middle age and the sort of age bracket that you imagine women picking this book up? Yeah, and beautiful um, insight into the fact that it's really just about this um, this question rather than answers. Like it's really trying to put us in a position where we are setting the kind of parameters for what this whole thing is about rather than trying to find the answers before we've actually agreed to the terms of what this whole experience of ageing in white Western culture is. Um, I guess middle age for me is one of those moving spaces. But I would think it's quite an expanse these days and can go anywhere from like 35 to 40 up to 55, 60. And I think that depends on all sorts of factors, where you sit in family, where you sit in work, where you sit in health, I think is also something. And um, how all of those environments regard you at any particular kind of place in life and where you might find yourself going through a transition, I think can happen in spits and starts and um, it can go for some time. Yeah. And I think it's the sort of thing, well, I'll speak for myself. I know for me, just delving into this topic, it's the sort of thing I wouldn't have been able to take on when my boys, I've got 10 year old twin boys, when my boys were a bit younger, because I didn't have the wherewithal, I didn't have the space to see it. And now that they are that bit older, and I'm that bit older, I'm 36 now. And I'm looking at things and I'm seeing systems and I'm seeing why I am the way I am. And it is infuriating me. Yeah, well, this is it. And I think 
I mean, I would have loved to have written a book that said, oh, let's all just get excited about aging. It's this wonderful process because on one hand, it absolutely is. But I think as um, you reflect there and you reflect throughout your podcast um, as well, is that there's a whole lot of stuff that we have been asked to participate in that's not always conscious. The way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves as aging, and the way we feel about ourselves as aging women is a really, really strong structural um, um, system-based construction that I think you have to just kind of come to terms with before we move to that next bit. Well, the construct works because by design, we are so molded into putting a lot of our value, a lot of our identity. And you speak about this beautifully in the book about how we self-objectify because we are objectified from the moment we first open our eyes. And I just feel like once you start to understand these concepts or once you start to become curious about these concepts and you start pulling the threads, it's so hard to unsee everything that's in front of us. I think that's beautiful and challenging, isn't it? Like when you come to that part and you go, wow, I have been kind of an agent in this as well, in the way that I think of myself, I think of the sisterhood, I think of my um, elders. You know, I have been taught, as everybody has, really strong messages around what it is to be all of those things. And I think as much as anything, we're looking at systems, but you beautifully point out that this is as much kind of an internal interrogation as it is anything, not in the way that we have been taught to, which is to kind of lash ourselves and say, why aren't you feeling better about yourself because you should love this ageing process or you should love your body or all the things that we also then get criticised for not doing. But almost the opposite, this interrogation around, oh, this is why I have given myself such a hard time for all of these years and I'm frightened of the things that might happen to me because of the way we're taught to think. Because we really do think about ourselves through the eyes of others and I know you've spoken about the male gaze, which I'm so fascinated by and again, much like so many of the things I'm uncovering at this, you know, through this season of my life. I'm infuriated by it and I can see how I'm complicit in it and I can see how I'm still complicit in it all the time. I was actually listening to you speak on another podcast, Jacinta, and you were sharing some reflections when you avoided your reflection and I'd love to hear more about that challenge. But it made me so aware of the ways that I am still participating in being seen through other people's eyes and how hard it is to break that association of just seeing yourself from the inside out. Oh, and again, beautifully reflected because this is really at the very base for so many women, again, in Western culture. Um, the complicit um, aspect of this, I think we can feel terrible about, but we mustn't. I think it's a really important thing to really exercise the stuff that we haven't done previously, which is that, you know, the kindness, the understanding that um, we perhaps are um, behaving in ways that aren't really aligned with our values. But, yeah, I think that internal going out rather than out going in is so challenging when everything in our world gives us a message of the opposite 
And at the same time, its duplicitous nature also says, oh, why are you, why are you getting involved in that, you silly girl, you know? Aren't you worth more? The um, wonderful movement of feminism has asked us to reflect that way, but in kind of a self-flagellating way where it's like you're not doing a good enough job if you don't love your lines and you're fat and all the things that we have been taught not to love about ourselves, not just through imagery but through absolute, as you mentioned before, systems, workplaces, families, culture, society have given us reinforced messages that to be a certain kind of woman is preferable over another. And I do think with access to social media being so prevalent, there are some really positive sides to that in terms of we can make sure that we diversify our feeds. We can be exposed to these positive messages. But I think just the fact that we're exposed to so many messages in itself, regardless of whether they're positive, negative or neutral, it's dialing down the volume of our own internal view of ourselves because, again, we start to see ourselves through that square on Instagram. Yeah, again, I'm loving your insights into this because it's so true. I mean, how we amplify our internal voice, but also that we have to kind of really listen to what that internal voice has been saying to us, you know, and I think there's we've done a lot of that work recently around um, the self-criticism and the self-objectification that can be quite negative because it's pretty insidious. You don't necessarily notice how often you go, ugh, to yourself um, because, again, we've been taught to look at ourselves from outside in. Um, and it's not until you kind of really pull that apart and start to, like do some conscious work in that area. I think that um, that that exists for it's it's very hard to break, as you say. And when it comes to reaching whatever midlife is for us and our own attachment to aging, how important is it that we do start to reframe what life is beyond the striving years? Because I feel like for so many of us, there's these years that we're in and we're striving and you know, we're pushing forward and we're looking forward to the next milestone and then the next milestone and we're racing to get there and then we get there and we realize, (laughs) oh, we're here or there's no there there. You know, it just doesn't happen for some people. But there's not a lot of like carrots dangled, I guess, in terms of, oh, you've got this to look forward to beyond 40, beyond 50, beyond 60. And I wonder, even as I'm saying this out loud, is that why it's so revered for people to become grandparents? Because they're like, oh, we finally get a milestone here. Like we get to be visible and someone else can see us through another lens. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation because I'm, um, you know, a decade advanced on you in terms of this process that we go through. And I've just had my 19-year-old daughter leave home. And there is nothing more shocking to, and and I went through that whole, you know, very much clearly when I was a mother, this is not my identity. I am a mother to these particular children and I am not that role, but I'm a woman participating, you know, fulsomely in, in being their mother. But I, and then when she left, I was, um, and knowing everything I know, it was absolutely heartbreaking because it was like, oh, God, I didn't realise how much I had invested in that role and my purpose in life was to feed and to clean and to cook and to do the things that 
that is loving acts, you know, wonderful loving acts that are wonderful things to do. But it was a shock to me when it was gone and I really went through that period of wondering whether I was worth anything. And um, I have, you know, gone through that kind of reflection on what it means to be alone and to experience loneliness when all the hurrying that you mentioned before, the milestones, we go, we go, we go, and then we'll get somewhere and those milestones have shifted to being kind of in the past in some ways. So I think this is what I love about this conversation with you as well is just that this is not just for the older, older women. This is for all of us and this idea that we need to be thinking about all of this stuff from when we're little and having very different impressions of what it is to be an elder or an older woman in our society. And that comes about through making some really conscious changes broadly, but also, you know, in the intimacy of our own lives. Because when we do think about the older woman, we think about the older woman who is revered for looking young. (laughs) We think about J-Lo. We think about, you know, women who are in their 50s, but they're keeping up with these whippersnappers and it's like, oh, okay, that's a good version of aging, but that's an impossible version of aging for most of us mere mortals. Exactly. And again, perpetuating the same carry on. The other part of this is if that's what resonates with you and that's your natural and wonderful exposition of aging, go for it. And we need to love every way that we feel powerful in doing this. But we have to be very aware that a lot of the pressure has been constructed from the outside. And if we really do that interrogation, how much of it comes from our real yearning for what we are as humans in this life? And I mean, it comes down to those kind of cheesy, very basic concepts of what is this all about, which is, of course, I guess where the midlife crisis comes in because you do start to wonder for everything you held value in that was told to you was valuable suddenly becomes like dust in your hands and it's like, wow, where am I now and where am I going? Yes, I think a lot of us have that realisation of, oh, I've built my identity on quicksand or I've built it on sand and the tide is coming in because you do, you begin to realise, oh, and I can only imagine and, you know, in 10 years I'm sure my two will be moving out. Actually, I think one of them will be with me forever. But I can imagine that as you move out of the mother archetype or the mother everyday duties, and then you're also not in what I call or what is often like called the, I guess, fuckable zone. It's like, well, where do I sit? You know? I loved you talking about the archetype and then the fuckable zone. I love that. That is so talking truth. Yeah. Where do you sit? What is value? What if, you know, and I think what's been really interesting about this book and what I've really reflected on is the internal self and how they feel and what they desire and what they yearn for doesn't necessarily change very much. Like just because you get older doesn't mean that you desire less to um, feel love or intimacy or the experience of thrill or discovery or wonder. But we're told so strongly that that's that's the realm of young people. And so we often are coming to terms with stuff that we shouldn't have to. 
why are we having to come to terms with not being in the fuckable zone anymore? You know, like where are we getting these really strong ideas? But, of course, they're absolutely there. And I think um, this is where I think the work needs to be done with each other first, you know, across our generational lines is about the kind of conversation that you and I are having today um, where we are talking to each other and sharing in that cross-generational wisdom of what this is so that we can um, stand together in really asserting a different idea. You spoke about the internal self. Is that term uh, synonymous with the forever self? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it was just something that occurred to me and my beautiful publisher read it and she goes, oh, my God, that is so the, the byline on our book now. Just this idea, and it will be the thread. I'm, ta- I'm writing another one around this topic as well that I'm starting in the next couple of weeks around kind of the wisdom of ageing. And I think one of the beautiful um, ideas is that there is this beautiful moment that happens when you get older where you awaken that fierce girl inside you. You know, she's alive and well and ready to do stuff And I think our connection with the whole of us, not just these siloed ideas of, oh, now you're older, or now you're this, or now you're a mother, or now you're, you know, a teenager, all the things that we kind of demarcate ourselves into, we're actually all of it. Like for lots of our lives, we connect with those parts of us. We get socialised to not allowing those things to be alive. But I do think that's part of... The, the revolution is to connect back into the girl and to the teenager and to the older woman that we're, we're moving toward. You mentioned the word fierce. How does that connect to anger and rage? Because I know for a lot of people as they go through perimenopause and menopause, they do become ragey and angry. And if you were to ask my partner, he would say, I'm in quite an angry space at the moment as I'm uncovering all of these things and learning more. And I am. I'm quite angry a lot of the time about things. But we're also told, oh, that's just hormones. You know, you're just emotional. It's like before our period comes and we're a bit more, um, we're well, we're less resilient and perhaps seeing things are how they really are. We're more touchy. We're more sensitive. And it's always just sort of like, oh, just your hormones you're about to get your period you'll be fine like get through it the fierceness and the anger and the hormones how does that all mix together as we are entering mid midlife I think the hormone question can be put aside and I think it is a relevant um, conversation to be had in a very different way than what we've had it for this whole time. Um, I think we could frame it as it's a massive attunement into the world um, at those periods. And where I think the rage sits, and I love to hear that you are kind of going through it because what it is is a closeness to the true injustice of this experience, the true danger women experience here. This isn't about vanity and bodies only. Of course it is about these experiences of ourselves feeling diminished through the world and how we're looked at. But this is also about as women age, they become really vulnerable because they potentially have been um, carers in their families. They remain carers. They haven't worked. They haven't got super necessarily or the same amount perhaps as their partner. They might be in relationships that break down and often do in older age. And there's a precarity 
to aging and there is a, a, a awakening to the horrific violence against women that so many of us have kind of swallowed for so long. So I want to refocus this idea of rage and getting cranky around, well, hang on, this is a really useful emotion and it's a really important one and it's not to be minimised as other things that we express are. This is about real important stuff and we really need to stay focused and galvanised around that, that this anger is because of something. It's not manifested in our bodies because we're not resilient to our hormonal shifts. And I think that is um, a really emotional thing for me and I think it resonates with nearly every single woman when we talk about it through that frame. What the fuck has happened? How the fuck have we found ourselves here and still in 2023 it takes brave women to stand up and to speak out and still then they are you know, burnt at the stake. So, you know, kind of heavy, but that's the extent and the depth that I feel. And I feel like you're resonating in the same way. It is heavy. It's very, very heavy because as you said, it's from the moment we are born. There are so many ways that we are socialized to be objectified and to self-objectify and then to face these struggles and to have these questions and to have this anger and to not know what to do with it. I guess. And I, I obviously, I don't have the answers on what to do with it. I just know that right now for me, having these sorts of conversations and following these through lines and pulling at these threads is satisfying. Yeah. And I love, um, you know, and I'm reflecting on your reflections because they're so wonderful to hear just your openness to the inquiry of this because I think that's where we get wrong half the time as well is trying to find answers. I don't think there is simple answers, but I do think that asking the questions with each other and validating the questions and validating the experiences that we have, listening to each other, listening to each other across the generations, it's, it's time for us to stop looking at young girls and wondering what they're wearing, you know, in, in every instance of it, to look at them with the love that they deserve. You know, it's those simple things or to question women and why they put things in their faces. We need to stop all of that and it needs to be those loving eyes that were not perhaps put on us that we need to be the ones that are giving them, that are supporting women right across. And I think the only way we can access those loving eyes is actually through seeing the systems because then it allows us to not have more responsibility on ourselves. I think so often we carry the responsibility because it's like, oh, I do know better, but it's like, oh, well, actually when you're swimming in this water, it's very, very hard to change direction and swim upstream unless you start changing the water around you, I guess. Beautifully put. And I think that's really essential for this, you know, particular um, time and place. We'll have a different conversation, hopefully, in 10 years. But while we're here, I think the work that we need to make is to understand the world we're in, the world we've been constructed in, and to love the hell out of each other. Whatever way we choose that we need to survive, to feel good about ourselves, um, they're, they're personal questions and I think that we are not to sit in judgment of anyone in any way they choose to do it but 
to be the massive support system that all women need. All women need to be looked at like they are beautiful. And that's something we can do every single day of our lives is change the frame. Listen to how you think about things around you and we're just programmed to judge. When you stop doing that, when you look at somebody and um, without them even knowing but you frame it differently, um, you change. You change and you change the way then you see yourself. Thank you so much for saying that because just recently I had this experience where I was scrolling social media and I saw an influencer post something and I think me a year ago I would have felt like, oh, I would have had the thought and the judgment that is so embarrassing and so cringy. Like that is a cringy post and I'm sure people have those feelings and thoughts about me as well. I'm not exempt from this. Um, But instead of having that as my first thought, what I thought was, Oh my love like she's just trying to meet a need. She's been grow- like she's been taught that her value is in how she looks. So yes, she as you know, I'm not going to go into specifics, but as someone that has been taught those things, no wonder. Like no wonder she's still trying to play to what she perceives as her strengths. And it was it was like an overwhelming sense of compassion. And like yeah. this person doesn't know me from a bar of soap, but I was just like, "Oh, there, therein lies the growth of going like, I'm not going to judge her and belittle her because you, for whatever, you know, she's outside of what I thought originally was like a good age and a good way to do things. But I just went, oh, like there's just a human being trying to meet a need. Yeah. And in that action, what you do is transform yourself and you transform the critique that you put on yourself and you transform the way uh, we are with each other. I think Lizzo, for example, is someone that has done that like without, you know, I mean I know there's lots of stuff going on there, but in terms of how we look and regard body, she has just said, no, this is beautiful and I don't care and I'm going to keep telling you and you're not going to frighten me out of it. And therein changes internal stuff that I know that I did as a teenager when I saw bodies wearing bathers that I thought were not appropriate to wear. What the hell? What the hell? When you pull that apart, what? What are we doing? And so all of that internal work and the work that we do um, with each other, I think as much as systems need to be fought for, and that's exactly what is the issue here, there are still things that we can do in our lives that um, that make a difference to who we can be. If you had a primary school-aged child now, if you were how you are right now in this moment but your daughter was nine years old, five years old, whatever it is, what are the things that you would talk with her about or what would you point out to her to help her be aware of these systems at a younger age and to, I guess, look at herself more from the inside out rather than through other other lenses? It's such a great question and I think this is really the heart of it, isn't it, that we do this with our little boys and our little girls around really reframing the, the way that we ask them to look from outside in. I mean, we've done a lot of work in the, we've stopped doing that, oh, you look so pretty in that dress. I mean, all of that sort of stuff got done and is continuing to being done. I think all the stuff around 
agenda identifications really helps with the individualization of the human to feel like they can be whatever they are. But I do think that it's about diverse arrays of imagery. And I think depending on the age, I think there's a real role for overt um, education around look what this image is and look at how they've constructed it and how does that make you feel? It makes me feel this. And, and again, breaking that barrier between old and young, I think making sure that they know that we're in the game too, that there is, it's not, we're not immune to it. We're not better. We don't, you know, I think allowing for that inquiry and for those feelings that we have when we know we probably shouldn't like the attention, but we do, to allow, you know, to, to really open up and talk about these things that are complex and stop putting pressure on our little people to solve a problem that's not theirs, but to teach them how to find their way back in. And speaking of finding our way back in, I'd love to just ask about your thoughts or feelings on fun for women, because overwhelmingly, when I ask the question to women, what do you do for fun? It's usually self-care or a moment of solitude. It's very rarely an activity or a hobby or an interest or something that delights them to no end because sometimes we just don't have the capacity for that. You know, we're drained, we're looking after everyone else. But it does seem like a lot of men are able to hold on to their interests and their fun and their hobbies. And I would just love to wrap today's conversation by focusing on fun and enjoyment and things that we can do for ourselves and things to look forward to? Oh, what a great question. And I think if I can be an image of the future that's in any way positive, that um, small reduction in caring time, which is obviously never over, oh, my God, then, like after the shock, it is, oh, my goodness, what makes me who I am? And so I have just gone bananas. Um, You know, I've picked up my guitar again. I don't know how to play it and I love that. The judgment of me is not there anymore like it was. I'm making art. I'm going to do an exhibition at the end of the year um, just around paper cut stuff. I'm doing a PhD, which is less fun. But, you know, like all of these parts, I go and see music. I go and have time just walking around. But it's, it's about the exploration and the wonder. It's not about recovery. It's about finding the sparks again and letting myself know that I haven't finished. There's so much more wonder and discovery to be had and it just comes in really interesting and different ways as you get older. It's less perhaps career-focused and more about creativity for me. But um, I think it's I think it's really bloody exciting, if I can say anything. Aging is the freaking bomb and the more we talk uh, to women, the more they um, absolutely reiterate, this is so fantastic. Once you get past all the crap, oh, my God, it's a joyful, joyful time. I love that you use the words wonder and discovery because the word awe has been on my mind a lot. Like what actually makes me feel in awe of things. Like I feel like that's a really helpful word for me personally to try and get out of my own way and follow those little glimmers and those little clues as to what I might be interested in because you're right. I think once kids, you know, obviously get a little bit older and my two are still very little, but 
still so much more independent than they were. Like the fact that I can just go and get a coffee on my own or that they can walk into a bookshop on their own is just a you know, cause for celebration. But with this opening up of space and them being a bit more independent and them turning towards their peers a lot more than they ever have, I've actually felt a bit lost. Not as in like, mm. oh, who am I without caring? But like, oh, just who am I and what do I like? And this current version of me, what does she want to do? Because it's like I haven't had the chance to actually explore it as this version of me. I've never had 10-year-olds before. So, who am I now? So, awe and wonder and discovery and it's all good. Like we get those system upgrades. Yeah, it's not about finding um, things that have outcomes. It's about the opposite. It's about doing for the pleasure and doing for the play. Play is a really big part of it that we do really well as children. It looks different when we get older but it's about stopping all that sort of neoliberal stuff where we have to have an outcome and it's got to make money, you know. No, it doesn't and no, it shouldn't. And there are times that we must have where we are we are just responding to our intuition. I think that's one of the things that I've dialed up heavily is intuition. I love that. Your book is wonderful. The work that you're doing in the world is incredible. And I'm so excited to hear that you're going to be working on another book soon. This will be book number three for you, right? Yeah. And fun. I love it. So if we're talking about things we love, that's what I love to do. So yeah, I feel like I'm absolutely being clear about all those sorts of things as well. Where can our listeners pick up a copy of your books? Where can they connect with you more? All of the things. All of the things. I'm on Instagram in a very um, old lady kind of way and uh, Twitter as well, which is obviously dying. So, um, But also I've got a website. I'll be selling my books there, but you can get them actually still everywhere. Um, I think both of them are still in bookstores. So you can still buy them or get them online as well. And, um, yeah, just I will be just, you know, posting things as I continue this little journey. Thank I you. I said so- journey, Kylie. You're going to have to take that out for sure. <laughs> we have to drink shots. Yeah. The J word. I know. It's so hard not to use it though, isn't it? We're bloody on a journey, all yeah. right, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Snaps. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for your time and for all of your effort on such an important topic. I just want to say a huge thank you for the great insight you gave this conversation and the book itself. It's just a joy to talk to you about it today. Thank you so much. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.